First Church Charlotte. I just want to thank uh, Sister Bridget and Brother Carlos for substituting for me the last two weeks. Um, I did hear such good things about your respective uh, lessons, so thank you for accepting the challenge. I appreciate your ministry, and in fact, I'm very, very encouraged by uh, the feedback that I got from everybody. Uh, so thank you for that. Today, we're going to go back to our character study series. Um, and I want to take a look at the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is perhaps the most prolific author and evangelist of our New Testament. He gave so much of himself. And as a result, this study may end up being two parts, possibly a three-part series. Um, I'd like to, to take my text from uh, an obscure passage um, in Paul's letter to Timothy. He writes in 2 Timothy 2, verse 1 and 2, he says, quote, You then, my child, speaking to Timothy, Paul is, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trusts to, a, to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I feel like, I feel like this could be the golden text of Paul's ministry. That nearly, nearly everything you see of Paul in, in all the books that he gave us, in all the letters that he wrote, he was always sharing the gospel. He was always ensuring that the gospel would outlive him, right? Um, he was always deputizing other leaders like Timothy, like Titus, like Philemon. Uh, he was always sharing to uh, Silas and Barnabas. I mean, everywhere in the scripture, he was always doing this text. He was always performing what he said here to, Phil, uh, to Timothy, that which you have heard of me in the presence of many witnesses and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Why? I think that the answer would be so that the gospel, so that the gospel would continue. Amen? So in this text, Paul calls Timothy to ministry and encourage him to be bold. He asks Timothy to share in the suffering and this is paralleled, of course, by Paul's own suffering, which he, he describes in verse 9 of this text. At this point, remember, Paul is in prison, and he's about to die. We know this. So, so he tells Timothy, endure the suffering that is coming to you. And, of course, this is mirrored by Paul's own endurance, which he refers to in verse 10 of this text. In both uh, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, we see Paul calling Timothy to say, remain strong, stay strong in Christ. And the exhortations are rooted in the saving work of Jesus Christ, right? The work that he has been called to. All throughout this letter, Paul emphasizes to Timothy that that which you received from me, make sure you pass it on so that the gospel is preserved for future generations. 
So spreading the gospel to the then known world could not have been easy, could not have been an easy task for Paul. Remember now, we're talking about traversing sometimes hostile territories. Paul was first missionary journey, took him from Asia Minor, think, think Middle East, to Europe during the periods of AD 40, AD 40 all the way to AD 50. So run, roughly a 10 year span. Uh, now remember this is also still the Roman Empire, right? Paul or Saul of Tarsus was born in Sicily in the Roman Empire around 5 BC, which is today the town of Mersin in modern-day Turkey. He was educated at the school of Gamaliel, and his secular occupation was that of a tent maker before he became a Christian missionary. Now, many of you know his notable writings included Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and Titus and Philemon. Um, those were his principal works. Um, there are, there's rumors that he may have authored other or participated in the authorship of other books. The Apostle Paul became one of the most influential leaders in the early Christian church. And of course, many of you know that he played a crucial role in the spreading of the gospel to the Gentiles in particular in the first century. We read about this in Acts chapter number 9, verses 15 and 16. We read that he was not only called to the Gentiles, but he was also called to share the gospel to kings and also to Jews at the time. Now, we know that Peter was called primarily to the circumcised or to the Jews. But Paul's missionary journeys took him all throughout the then known Roman Empire, which included many Jewish and Gentile communities alike. So I, I covered when he, when he lived, he was born around uh, 5 BC, five years before Christ. And then he died somewhere in the neighborhood of A.D. in the year of the Lord, 64 or 65, which puts him around 70 years old when he died. While we know that Paul was a contemporary of Jesus in that they lived around the same time, uh, there is no biblical record or biblical evidence, I should say, that they ever physically crossed paths at least not before Jesus died, because after Jesus died, we know when he ascended into heaven, he did appear to Paul or Saul at the time in the spirit, knocked him off his donkey on the Damascus road and spoke to him through a bright light in Acts chapter number nine, verses one through five, we read this, uh, and say, Paul, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me, man? The first century was a very dangerous and tumultuous time for Christians and for Christianity in general, right? Um, the new religion, this new religion, it was vulnerable and it faced opposition from everywhere, from the Jews who believed it was pure blasphemy against Jehovah, right? Another God, what do you mean? 
and from the Romans who believed it, it, would, it would challenge Caesar's authority. So it created unrest. I bet you all didn't know that, that, that when the gospel of Jesus was being preached, it was tumultuous. It was, it was chaos. A leader in the Jewish community, Paul, saw the rapidly spreading Christian community as a serious threat to Judaism. This is the religion that he practiced. And so he sought authority from the high priest to persecute or to jail the early Christians. Paul, we know, started more than a dozen New Testament churches, and he is traditionally considered the author of at least 13, 13 of the New Testament books. Now, this is way more than anybody else, right? And for this reason, Paul is often considered one of the most influential people in all of ancient biblical history because of his prolific writing. And many of his books, as you may know, were written from prison, right? Because he was also, in addition to being prolific, he was also per persecuted himself later on. He had a greater impact on the world's religious landscape than probably anybody else except Jesus. If you were to broaden it to the greater religious world, the only other person that comes close is maybe Muhammad, Muhammad ibn Abdullah, the founder of, of Islam. But before he was known as a champion of Christianity, Paul was actually best known for persecuting the early church, as we, as we mentioned. The book of Acts tells us that Paul was even present at the stoning of one of the first martyrs of the Christian church, of Stephen in Acts chapter number 8. We can read about that in Acts 8. And so most of what we know about the Apostle Paul, also called Saul, comes from his various writings and also from the book of Acts. However, there are also a couple of writings from other extra-biblical writers um, in the first and second centuries. Um, for example, Clement of Rome, he wrote a letter to the Corinthians and um, also mentioned Paul. In his writings, Paul referred to himself as a Hebrew of the Hebrews. What does this mean? A Hebrew of the Hebrews. Before becoming a follower of Christ, Paul was a prime example of what we would call a righteous Jew. That is different from what the Jews today call the assembly of the righteous. The, the assembly of the righteous are Gentiles who protected Jews from the Holocaust. But this reference, this reference is to Paul being a righteous Jew, referred to his genealogy, his background, his heritage. He came from a God-fearing Jewish family. We can read about this in 2 Timothy chapter number 1, verse 3. The Bible says he was a Pharisee, just like his father. Acts chapter 23, verse 6 confirms this. And again, he was educated by a well-respected rabbi named Gamaliel in Acts chapter number 22, verse 3. By the way, uh, Gamaliel was educated by Hillel. And if you know anything about Hillel, Hillel is, if you go to on any college campus right now, usually the Jewish 
student organization is called Hillel. So his, his Jewish credentials included his heritage, his discipline, and his zeal is well-documented and, and well-respected uh, in both Jewish and Christian circles. In Philippians chapter number three, he explains why, if anyone has reason to believe that they could be saved by their adherence to Judaism, certainly it was him. He writes this in Philippians 3, verse 4 through 6, quote, If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was, this is his, his pedigree, right? I was circumcised the eighth day. I am of the people of Israel. I am of the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. In regards to the law, I am a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, I am faultless. Interesting, huh? So Paul regarded himself as a Jew to be quite um, a, a strictly adhering to the letter of the law. However, after meeting Jesus on the Damascus Road, he later goes on to say that he considers this Jewish righteousness more like garbage. In fact, he, use, he uses stronger language than that. He calls it dung, which is poop, right? When compared to the righteousness that comes from faith in Christ, Paul says his Jewish righteousness is nothing. Now, let me speak to you, specifically to us, our Bible study group. This is how we must reflect on our past. We, we ought to discard whatever we were before we came to the Lord. Whatever you were involved in before you became a Christian, whatever lifestyle you ran with, whatever whoever you hung out with, uh, everybody now know that I was a DJ and I ran with some pretty raggedy crowd. Uh, I know that Brother Carlos was a... Uh, 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 you want me to say it, Carlos? <laughs> Brother Carlos was a, um, was, a, was a rocker, right? Played in a, a rock band, right? Um, and, and we ought to think that our previous life was nothing in comparison to what we have in Christ Jesus now. In other words, your Christian identity now is front and center. It is primary in your life and everything else is secondary. I used to be a DJ. Ah, I gave away all my records when the Lord called me. My daughter still curses me about that. And she was like, what? All that vinyl? More than 10,000 uh, records. Now, Paul's identity used to be rooted in his Jewishness. I gave you his, his resume earlier. But after his dramatic conversion on the road to Damascus, his identity as a Jew became secondary to his identity as a follower of Christ. And that's how we, that's how we should, should roll. That's how we should sport our Christian identity. It is primary in our lives. Yes, I'm a teacher, but, but I'm a Christian. Uh, yes, I'm a bus driver, but I'm a Christian. Yes, I, I, I work in marketing, but primarily I'm a, I'm a child of God. I'm a Jesus follower. Amen. Amen. He, he spent much of his ministry in the beginning, if you remember, dismantling the idea that in order to have saving faith in Jesus, 
Gentiles must first become Jewish by adopting the Mosaic law, right? This is what Peter was teaching. Being a Hebrew of the Hebrews gave him the credibility when speaking to Jewish audiences and helped him to speak into the Mosaic laws inability to make people righteous. And so it must be with us, right? We must look on our past as done and our new life in Christ as the beginning. In fact, that's what the Bible says, right? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. All things have become new. Your new life in Christ is, is your last stop, right? There's nothing more important, nothing more critical than your life and your ministry in Christ Jesus right now. I mentioned before Paul was born in Tarsus, a prosperous city in the province of Sicilia, or modern-day Sicily, which is in southern Italy, which granted him Roman citizenship. This is important. Uh, this status gave him special privileges in the Roman Empire, and in some cases saved his life and saved him from much abuse. Read Acts 22, verses 25 to 29. And in Acts 25, Paul was put on trial, if you remember, and his accusers asked that he stand trial in Jerusalem, where they had planned to ambush and kill him, Acts 25.3. And again, Paul leveraged his Roman citizenship and demanded that Caesar himself hear his case, Acts 25.11. And, and the, the prosecuting officer called the, uh, the pure procurator, had no choice but to grant him his right to be heard by Caesar. Uh, and unfortunately, the book of Acts ends before he gets to Caesar because Paul's story isn't the point, right? It isn't the point of the book of Acts, right? It is the spreading the actions of the apostle. So as a Roman citizen, Paul possessed a coveted status. Some like the centurion in Acts 22 that we, we didn't read, but I referenced, had to pay a lot of money to have Roman citizenship. You could buy Roman citizenship, but it was steep. It was very expensive. And of course, you can also serve in the military after 25 years to earn Roman citizenship. But Paul, Paul was born into this privilege. Now, instead of lording over everyone else with this privilege, he wisely preached about citizenship which everyone could choose to claim by accepting Jesus Christ and earn citizenship in heaven. He writes in Philippians 3.20, quote, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await our Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Philippians 3, 20 and 21. I mentioned that Paul before was a persecutor of Christians. He was a Pharisee. Now, before his conversion to Christianity, Paul saw Christians who were predominantly Jewish at the time, 
as a scourge, a threat against Judaism. From Paul's perspective, these people were blaspheming about God and leading people astray. What do you mean you've got a, another God? That would divide God up into two or three. It's blasphemy. It would blaspheme the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And so Paul thought that Christianity was blasphemy. He believed that Jesus was a mere man and was therefore rightfully executed for claiming to be God. And since Jesus's followers kept spreading the idea that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh, Paul thought that Christians were sinners of the worst kind. So it shouldn't come as a surprise that Paul made his debut in the Bible as an intense persecutor of Christians. Um, when Stephen was being stoned, I mentioned this a second ago, when Stephen was being stoned, the Bible says, quote, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And the Bible says that that Saul approved of them killing him. This was the Apostle Paul himself, according to Acts 7, verses 58 through to the end and Acts chapter number 8, verse 1. Later, Paul asked the high priest for permission to take the Christians known as followers of the way as prisoners. We read in Acts chapter number 9, verse 1 and 2. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus so that if he found there anyone belonging to the way, Jesus is the way, right? The way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Paul's notoriety as a persecutor of Christians made believers uncomfortable around him after he accepted Christ, after his baptism even. And it took a while for them to believe that he'd really been converted. They, they really didn't believe him, right? That he had changed from a persecutor of Christians to a follower of Christ. Acts chapter 9, verse 26 clarifies that. And then later, Paul becomes became a leader in the Christian church, the early Christian church. After putting his faith in Jesus, Paul immediately began preaching publicly in Acts chapter 9, verse 20. Let me just pause for a second and say this. Um, something about Paul that you will, you will recognize if you read his story and if you do a little bit of research, as I've done, he was very well educated. I mentioned that he was he was uh, schooled by Gamaliel, who was in turn schooled by Hillel. Um, these are some of the top uh, Hebrew scholars in all of Jewish history. And so he was very well educated. He was also a doctor of the law. He became a Pharisee. And so I want to pause and say uh, to those of you who are in school, um, the reason why I think Paul was so prolific and so effective um, in spreading the gospel and as a minister of the Lord was because of his education. Um, he was able to speak at every level. He was able to speak to kings. I right? remember Festus. He was able to speak to the lowly. 
he was able to speak to Greek and Romans, right? And, and because of his education, the Lord was able to use him greatly. So those of you who, um, especially to our younger people, are, are in school or pursuing uh, your education, I encourage you enthusiastically. You know, keep it up. Keep it up. All right. The Apostle Paul quickly built a reputation as a formidable teacher of the word. Acts chapter 9 and 22 tells us that. Throughout the rest of the book of Acts, we could see that. Paul became a prominent figure who played a pivotal role in bringing the gospel to, to non-Jewish communities. You may remember that the gospel was first uh, given to the Jews, um, as shared by Peter and the rest of the apostles. But then the Gentiles were brought in by the plan of God, through primarily through Paul. Of course, initially through Peter when he went to Cornelius' house. As we see from Paul's own epistles, his own letters, he was highly respected in the increasingly scattered Christian communities, many of which he started himself. His letters frequently addressed the problems and the questions these churches wrote to him about. Uh, Paul's understanding of the scripture and his commitment to sharing the gospel, I think, was unmatched. In Galatians 1 and 15, we read, quote, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, he writes, and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathens, immediately I conferred not with flesh or blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to confer with them who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia. Listen to this. I went to Arabia and returned again unto Damascus after three years. I went up to Jerusalem and see, to see Peter, and I stayed with him 15 days. So we learn now that soon after Paul's conversion, he traveled to the country of Arabia. This is what I believe, and the Bible bears this out. Galatians tells us that he spent three years there in the presence of the Lord. And this may have been the time immediately after his conversion, but he spent time in Damascus preaching in the synagogues. Then he spent his three years in Arabia in the desert. And then his return to Damascus and his journey to Jerusalem um, wrapped up that three, three and a half year time frame. And many believe that this was Paul's three years uh, with the Lord, similar to the three and a half years that the other apostles spent with the Lord before his crucifixion. Either way, either way, when you read his letters, you get the sense that the Lord spoke directly and trained Paul in the Gospels. And this verse all but confirms it. Acts chapter 9, verse 15 tells us that Paul's status as a Pharisee and his intense devotion to the law might have made him well-suited to preach to the Jews. Paul had a very different calling, a very different calling. Before Paul ever preached the Gospel, Jesus said, quote, Acts 9.15, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, <clears throat> to their kings, and to all the people of Israel. And then we find out later um, 
in Acts chapter number 26, that while he was on trial in Caesarea Philippi, he, he did proclaim the name of Jesus in the gospel to King Herod Agrippa II. This was a Gentile king fulfilling that prophecy. Now, Paul's calling as an apostle to the Gentiles was also reinforced by the original apostles in his letter to the church in Galatia. Paul wanted the Galatian believers to know that they did not need to follow the law of Moses to be saved. Come on, somebody. He said, the gospel I preached was enough and they needed to put their faith in Jesus and that's all they needed. You didn't need to go back to the law of Moses because that can't save anybody. To prove this point, he told the Galatians that Peter, also called Cephas, Peter, James, and John had nothing to add to my rendition of the gospel. He writes, quote, Galatians 2.6, as for those who were held in high esteem, referring to Peter, James, and John, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God doesn't show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been called to the Jews. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, John, and Peter those esteemed as pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews to preach the gospel. You can read about this in Galatians 2. I read verses 6 through 9. And if Peter... James and John had nothing to add to what Paul preached, and then why would the Galatians listen to someone else who said there was more they needed to do to be saved? Of course not. Of course not. As an apostle to the Gentiles, not only did Paul need to engage the cultures that he was trying to reach, but he had to protect these new believers from the weight of obligation that the Jewish Christians often tried to impose on them. So he was constantly trying to prove that the Gentiles didn't need to ad adopt the Jewish customs, like, like circumcision, for example, in order to place their faith in Jesus and to, and to receive the Holy Spirit. He was adamant about this. Because Peter and the other Jewish leaders were trying to get these new believers, these Gentile believers, to be circumcised and to follow the law. And Paul was like, I don't think so. That is not necessary. The gospel I preach to you, faith in Jesus Christ alone, repentance, Jesus name baptism, and receiving the Holy Ghost is all you need. And so Paul used that message to spread the gospel all throughout Europe and all throughout Asia Minor, which is now called Middle East. And he was typically driven towards those areas that were not evangelized. He writes in Romans 15, verse 20, uh, it, has not, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not already known so that I was not building on someone else's foundation. Isn't that beautiful? He was going to places where people hadn't heard a word about Jesus. So the book of Acts and Paul's letters specifically records three 
missionary journeys to various cities throughout Europe and Asia, each lasting for several years. Everywhere he went, Paul established new Christian communities and helped these new believers develop their own leaders. And he corresponded with them through writing these letters that we now have as epistles. Occasionally, they, they also financed his trips, kind of like what we do today in, in the United Pentecostal Church and in other Pentecostal churches of the world. We finance our missionaries. Uh, not very long ago, we sent Sean and J.D. to the country of Mali in Africa, um, a hostile country, uh, to be sure, but, but they went. And every month, we send them a check. Every month we send them a check from First Church. And the idea here is that we are trying to support them in sharing the gospel to the world, right? In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 8 and 9, and in Philippians 4, verse 14 through 18, Paul writes, quote, Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no one entered into a financial partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only, speaking to the Philippians. He writes in verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increased to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Euraphidus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Verse 19, and my God will supply every need according to your riches, his riches rather, in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul also was used to perform miracles. Before Jesus ascended to heaven, he promised his followers that they would, in Acts chapter number one, verse eight, receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon them and they would be witnesses. And of course, the book of Acts uh, records and uh, these, these moments of miracles that we have. Um, are we running out of time already? The book of Acts records that the apostles performed miracles, and of course, Paul is no exception. He healed people, he cast out spirits, and even brought some back from the dead. Now, of course, one of the guys he brought from the dead might have been a result of Paul's preaching for a very long time, and the kid fell out the window, broke his neck, and Paul ran downstairs and laid on the kid and brought him back to life. Um, these are stories that you can read in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. So, in Acts chapter number 13, here are some of his miracles. He made a sorcerer go temporarily blind. In Acts 14, he healed a man who had been lame since birth. Acts 16, he cast out a spirit that was annoying him. Uh, in Acts chapter number 19, he healed uh, people and cast out spirits uh, through items that he touched like the handkerchief. That's where we get the prayer cloths from. In Acts chapter number 19, verse 11 and 12, um, that's where the idea, they cut up handkerchiefs and pour oil on them and handed them out to the congregation. People put them in their Bibles, they put them in their clothes. And you take the, it, symbolically, of course, you take the Spirit of God with you wherever you go. 
He resurrected a young man, Eutychus, in Acts chapter number 20, verse 9. And he was bit by a venomous stake and nothing happened to him, Acts chapter number 28. And, and in verse uh, 8 of Acts 28, he healed a man with fever and dysentery. Uh, if you know what dysentery is, basically, um, all the fluids leave your body and you die. You either pass it up through your mouth or, or everywhere else and you die basically. So it's not fun. And so to those who saw and heard Paul preach, and for those who witnessed these miracles that he performed, all confirmed the authority of God was in him. Right? And these miracles demonstrated his authority. In Mark 2 and 10, when he commanded the paralyzed man to take up his bed and walk, Jesus did. It's the same kind of miracles that Paul was performing. Now, let's go to his conversion on the Damascus Road. One of the most remarkable aspects of Paul's life is that as a young man, he was well known for persecuting Christians. But by the end of his life, he endured significant persecution himself as a Christian. The book of Acts and Paul's own letters provide an account of how this dramatic change happened. I'll read some of it from Acts chapter number nine. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there belonging to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he responds, who are you, Lord? And the sound of voice comes back and says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I believe this is the first time that Paul met Jesus. Because there's no other, there's no other verse that says that he physically met Jesus, kind of like how the other apostles were running around Jerusalem. This is so. This is the first time when Jesus said, "I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting," and he replied, "Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do." Now the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless when they heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he, he still could not see. So he had to have someone lead him. They led him by the hand to Damascus. And for three days, he was still blind, did not eat nor drink. This is referred to as his road to Damascus conversion, the Damascene conversion, or what's referred to sometimes in, in, in the history as the Damascus Christophany, this vision that he had of Christ. So this is on Paul's, on one of Paul's murderous journey to round up Christians that he met the Lord. But why Paul now knew the true identity and the power of the one he had been persecuted. He had yet to learn the grace of Jesus Christ and the power to heal. And for that, he would need to meet another Christian. The Bible says in Damascus, there was a certain disciple by the name of Ananias. And the Lord called him in a vision and said, Ananias, he responds, yes, Lord. 
And the Lord told him, quote, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Ananias said, Lord, you must not know. I have heard many stories about this man and all the harm he has done to your people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who is calling on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Is that beautiful? I'm going to show him how much he will suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and he entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said to him, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road to Damascus while you were coming here, he has sent me to you that you might see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. You can read about this in Acts chapter number nine. I just read verses 10 through 19. You can read the entire passage. I'm going to stop there for now. I told you that this is going to be a long um, segment. Turn your, your microphone back on and let's chat for a little bit. I feel like, um, I feel like the, <clears throat> the story of the Apostle Paul is so... I don't know, man. It's so rich. It's so gripping that you learn so much. Every time I read his story or portions of his story, I read so much. I learned so much. And I wondered if anyone on here would want to share with me. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us. Thank you.